thank you for this day. I thank you for bringing us together, Lord God. I pray that we would have ears that hear what your spirit is saying to us, Lord, and that we would apply these truths to our lives, Lord God, that um, this knowledge would become wisdom through application, Lord God, and I pray that you would be with Norma as she is with her dad, Father God, and I pray that um, you would strengthen her. I thank you that I know that she is being a light to all those that are there, Lord God, and I pray that she would be a light to her father, Lord, and that he would not step into eternity without knowing you, Lord, that your hand would be upon him. In Jesus' name, amen.
Lord, just for that truth, God, that in Christ we will not be shaken, we will not be moved, our hope cannot be taken. Father, for we have fixed our eyes on you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you for your loving kindness. Thank you, God, that you were pleased to reveal yourself to us through your son, Jesus. Thank you, Father, for making a way to be reconciled to you through Jesus. Oh, God, may we not forget the price that has been paid. Great salvation. Oh, God, as we look forward to your day that you return, may you find us faithful until then, Lord, that we would be effective laborers, Lord, in this harvest time. Strengthen us, Holy Spirit, I pray, as we open up your word this day. May it take root into our hearts that it produce lasting fruit in our lives. May we not only be hearers of the word, but, oh God, may we be doers, faithful stewards of all that you've entrusted us with. There's work to be done in our time, in this generation. May we put our hands to the plow and not look back. Equip us, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 20. For the kingdom of God is not just a lot of talk, but it's living by God's power, you all. I don't know about you. I don't know what your week has been like. But it's been a really intense week. The things that are going on out there in this world, the things that are going on in churches and in ministries, it's beyond even my comprehension the times that we're living in, you all. And we know that when we see the level of darkness, when we see the level of deception, when we see the level of evil rising, we're not to start quaking in our boots and, and be afraid. <laughs> oh, but I pray that you all are being attentive to the leading of the Holy Spirit to discern the times in which you're living. Because when you hear from pulpits, when you hear from ministries that have a huge platform and they're turning from the gospel, oh God, help us. Oh God, help us. I pray that you all know who Christ is, that you've accepted him, that you are abiding in him, that you are growing, that you are maturing as a Christian, because if not, you are going to be swept out. If your roots aren't down deep, when the storms of life, when the seasons of this generation begin to blow, you won't be able to declare what those words just declared over you. You will be shaken. You will be moved. Your hope will be taken because your eyes aren't fixed on him. 
You see, we can't just be people who do a lot of talk. No, we have to be people that are living, empowered by God. I mean, I'm praying. Like, do we really get it? Like, our confession and our belief that Jesus is the Son of God and that He rose from the dead. Do we understand truly what that means and how that is to impact your life? Like, He rose from the dead victorious. He's defeated sin and death. You're not to walk in darkness anymore. Your mind is no longer bent towards darkness, towards self. You've recognized, wait a minute, that is not who I am because this is my God. He is alive. He is risen. He has defeated sin and death. And it doesn't matter the temptations that come to me. It doesn't matter that which is stirring up all around me or within me. I have that which has been given to me through my risen Savior, that resurrected power living in me, to push back against it. Are you pushing back? Because we ought to be. We ought to be. He's resurrected. And, and I've been encouraging us over this past year. Like, do we truly get it? Like, we're waking up behind enemy lines. Every day you get up, you are in a world that is so contrary, so opposite to your belief. As a child of God, if you are a confessing Christian, you have been engrafted into a kingdom that cannot be shaken. It is the kingdom of light. It is the kingdom of love. And it's being twisted. I mean, the stuff that I've heard this week, I go, oh God, and Christians are applauding it. Christians are being hooked, lined, and lured, and pulled out. Because the message sounds right. But I've warned you all, if you're hearing a gospel that gives you the right to yourself, you better run from it. It is not the gospel. No matter how they spin it, no matter what fluff they want to put on it, it is not the gospel. To continually to talk about yourself, you, 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 and you, to continually to, to dredge up the past, to continually to try to say, God is okay with who I am. God help us. Here's the reality. As I've shared with you over and over, you should preach this to yourself every day. What is your confession? What is your belief? Because remember what the Word of God says. How does He transform us? If you're not experiencing the resurrected power, it's because your mind's not being renewed. And you can't blame God because He's giving you everything you need to live a godly life. He is not holding anything back. If you seek Him, you will find Him. If you seek Him with your whole heart, seek Him while He may be found. <laughs> your confession and your belief. I can't challenge you enough. I can't say it enough. 
of all the seasons these past years that God has walked me through, what has kept me is Christ. What has kept me looking for Him, even though there's been times where I've been wanting, I wanted to give up, I wanted just to walk away, I wanted just to be like, this is insane. I remember my confession and my belief that changed, that radically changed my life. I believed he defeated sin and death. I believed that he is a risen Savior. (laughs) And I clung to that because that is our hope. That is our hope. And I'm afraid what's being preached today is a Jesus still in the tomb. I'm about sick and tired of hearing. (laughs) That's the only, that's as far as Christians want to go. He went to the cross, he's in the tomb. Oh, he loves me. See, he died for me. He's a God of love. And they keep him in the tomb. Because he can't change me. So I have to adapt who I am with the knowledge that I know that he went to the cross and he's in the tomb. And I'm content with him being in the tomb. Even though that's not what they say, (coughs) that's really what they're saying. He's still dead. Because that's the life of one who says that they're a Christian and yet there's no power of transformation in their life. They believe in a dead God. I mean, that's the reality. They've been deceived. And don't you know, as you're waking up behind enemy lines, he is a liar. He comes to divide. He comes to conquer. He comes to whisper. Did God really say? He makes you think and think and think, well, maybe God didn't say. I don't know if God really did. I don't know what it really means. I'm confused about it. And so we just stay ignorant. And when we're ignorant, we're lost. Because we're not to be ignorant. If he can dumb you down, he has stripped you. Bare naked. But Christ clothes you with righteousness. believe and you know, wait a minute, God's alive. Like Christ is victorious over sin and death. You wouldn't allow the enemy to keep beating you down. You've been around me long enough that I've used this example before. If I came over to you and I started beating, beating you and slapping you around and punching you and dragging you, you're not going to allow me to keep doing that. Like, there's going to be something within you that's going to try to fight me back. Even if it's the last little bit of ounce of strength you've got, you're going to try to get me off of you. If I came over to Michelle and I started beating Michelle, like, you all are not going to sit idly by. 
<sighs> and just watch her get beaten down. And if you wouldn't do that in the physical, why are you doing that in the spiritual? If you're saying you're a believer, because Christ is risen, He is victorious over sin and death. And we know that we're behind enemy lines and we're not to keep continuing to be beaten down by the enemy. We're not to continue to stand back and watch all of our loved ones just be stripped down and beaten down and then we just cave in with it and all we do is talk, 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 talk or try to do, 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 do and God is going, you're to depend upon me because I'm the only one that can fix it. So when's the last time you got on your face? You got on your knees. You fasted. You prayed. You opened up the word. You took the sword and you began to speak it. And if you're not doing it, then I'm afraid the Jesus in which you think you believe in is the Jesus that is still in the tomb. Because there's no hope in that God. I mean, even Paul says, if our message is just the cross, if our message is that he just went to the cross and we put him in a tomb, then we're foolish to give our lives for this. Who would do that? Oh, we better wake up, we better wake up, we better wake up. Going through this scare of having cancer, going through this scare of, of all this weird disease and sickness, Going through the season before that, and before that, and before that, and going, oh God, where are you in the midst of this? Hold on, I've got you, he says. <laughs> if we would just allow him to mature us through what we're facing, remaining in agreement with him, and not with what we see around us. You must be as innocent as doves and wise as serpents. The enemy is out to devour. Understand this. He is out to conquer and to devour. And you and of yourself are not strong enough. But in Christ, you've got all the strength that you need to stand. And stand therefore then, rooted and grounded. Try as you may. You can't touch me. You can't touch my family. You can't touch you. You just got to begin to speak. I'm not going to be afraid. I'm not going to cower down. No, I'm going to learn to be gentle and humble. I'm going to learn to serve. I'm going to do the opposite of what my flesh wants to do. Because I know if my flesh gets involved in any of this, it's going to make it even worse. No. I must know the God in whom I say I believe in. He is risen. He is resurrected. There is a kingdom that is coming. And while we're waiting for the kingdom to come, we are to experience the fullness of the kingdom now. We stand upright 
in a crooked world. That's why we look different than the world. We're to look different than the world. We're not to be going the ways of the world and just slapping Jesus on it. No, we're to look totally different. We're to stand out. We're to look odd. Like, we must grasp this. Because hell is what is awaiting people who have not accepted Jesus. An eternal hell, an eternal punishment separated from God. Yet, all the while, for eternity, having a knowledge of Him. Did you hear that? To be separated for eternity, no hope, ever to be reconciled, ever to be restored, ever to get out. (laughs) And all along for eternity, knowing the knowledge of God. This is what we're up against. Every day you wake up, you're behind enemy lines that seeks to devour you and your loved ones to drag you to an eternal hell, a separation from God, yet with a knowledge of Him. And that's why I tell you, I think the saddest thing is to know that there's people sitting in churches who have Jesus on their lips, but He's not in their heart. And Scripture tells us, when He appears, He's going to say, I don't know you. And they're going to be shocked. What? Well, didn't I do this in your name? Didn't I go to church? Didn't I give to the poor? Didn't I follow this and follow that? And didn't I, and didn't I, and didn't I, and didn't I? And he's going to say, I don't know you. You worker of iniquity. You worker of sin, yoked to sin, you're not yoked to me. I don't know you. And he is a just God. He is a just God. He, he, when he delivers his judgment against you, he's just. He's right. There's no way around it. And you will be separated in a place of torment. But torment, the gnashing of teeth for eternity, separated from God. But yet, all the while, for eternity, knowing about him. Oh, play your games. Keep going back to your bad attitudes and your foul mouth and your perverted mind. And your life just all about you. And do you see what you're chasing? When God 
Himself came down. He stooped down into a world that is hostile against him, to a creation that is rebellious towards him, he came. He came to lay himself down, to take upon the wrath that you deserved. Remember I told you last week, Hearing this one pastor preach about Jesus in the in the in the in the garden, and Jesus crying, Jesus dripping blood, the sweat of blood, such anguish. Fathers, if there's if there's any other way, take this cup from me. All along, Jesus knew what was before him. The cross wasn't an afterthought. No, the cross was purposed even before the earth was formed. He was crying out in that garden because he knew. He wasn't afraid of the... uh, 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 This or afraid of the cross. He knew the torment and the pain that was going to come from that. But what he knew that he had to experience that he was asking if there's any other way. But then he finally came to a place, but not my will. Your will be done. He had to experience the wrath of God. Everything that you and I deserved. He put himself in front of us stretched out his arms and say, you're okay, I've got you. And he endured the wrath of God for you and for me. Do you think about it? Do you praise him for it? Because if not, then I don't know what you're doing. I don't know what we're doing. I don't know what's happening. Like what I'm telling you, like things are happening overnight. It's the most craziest thing. It is the most craziest thing. And I go, oh God. And so yeah, this week it was like, oh, if if I got one more word, if I watched one more video, if I got one more person stepping into my office, if I got one more phone call, I was just like, oh, God, Lord, help us. Because it's getting crazier. It's getting darker. And we're to be burning brighter. Are you fanning the flame, you all? You ready for one more? Who are you discipling? Who's discipling you? Because when I'm in prayer lately over these past months, and I'm seeking God, and I'm praying for the church, not just us, but for the church, the condition that we're in is because there's a lack of discipling. There's a lack of, of disciplers. Where's the hunger? Where's the thirst? Where's the reality that he's a risen God? 
and I don't know him, but God, I want to know more of you. Like if we put on the screen the snapshot of your week, what will we see? What are you seeking? Who are you seeking? What got you? What has you so consumed? What is what's weighing heavy on you? Because it ought to be him. Because he's the only one that can work out for the good what the enemy is trying to destroy. Oh, keep putting your hands towards it. Keep putting your mouth over it. Come into an agreement with the enemy, cursing and carrying on and just saying the most craziest things that do not edify, that do not build up. You are to be producing. And if we put on the screen, what is your life producing? The people that you impact, from family members to co-workers, the people out in the public that you're running into, what is the fragrance that you're leaving all over them? Because it ought to be the fragrance of life. They should see something different about you. Rather they come to Christ or not, because not everyone's coming to Jesus. <laughs> but if you're in Jesus, you better abide in him, remain in him, and be his image bearer for others to see. So that when they ask you, and that door opens, you know how to share because you've been discipled. You're growing. Remember, we're not perfect until we're with him. But until then, we're growing. Sin is not to be our master. We're no longer a slave to sin. We're a slave to righteousness. And when that door opens and they want to know more, then you make time for them to sit with them. And don't waste time with them. People like to pop in and pop out and pop in and pop out and pop in and pop out. And I've learned years ago... I'm done with people popping in and popping out and popping in and popping out and expecting just to pour out. <laughs> and then you look and nothing. Ah! No, no. You better be praying for disciples. You better be praying that you yourself would be an effective discipler. Like we want to see a harvest. We want to see a harvest. And if you're not being discipled, and if you're not discipling, your Jesus is in the tomb. You don't know Jesus. You don't know him. And coming to church doesn't make you a disciple. Doesn't make you a discipler. Because anyone can come to church. Anyone can sit and listen. Not everyone is applying it who has a hunger. I said, God, let me see the hunger. Before I get caught up again, God, let me just see the hunger. You know, when you see someone hungry, you know, and you, and you feed them a meal and you see, and there's something about as they're eating it and, 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 and their countenance, their, their, their disposition, everything about them just begins to change. It's like, oh, oh. 
hungering people for the things of God involved. But we're not going to see it if we're not praying. If we're not a praying people. Oh God, that we would be a praying people. And you say, well, this is a lot. Well, because our scripture for the year. <laughs> it's not like a, 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 our scripture for memory is like every week you get one. Like, we got it for a year. And the year's almost over. So how are you doing with the scripture that you've heard over and over and over and over? For the kingdom of God is not just a lot of talk. It is living by God's power. Oh, that you would be experiencing it. Remember, God's plan and God's purpose is to have a people that he will call his own. And in return, they will call him their God. They will live for him. Trusting in him. Hoping in him. Turning to him. Go to Leviticus chapter 16. And as we've been reading through the Old Testament, we're seeing it laid out before us. We can't take the living word and treat it like yet another story, another book, something else we're just listening to. No, if you are a Christian, you come to grips and you have confessed out of your mouth that Jesus is the Son of God and that he rose from the dead, defeating sin and death. And in this knowledge that he is the word, the living word, no men, no group could put this together to make it all work. No one could do it. But God inspired these men to pen these words for a reason. Because this is the living word. It has brought the good news throughout the generations. And we are not to take from it, and we're not to add to it. We are to recognize what it is. It is the living word. It is your sword. And so as we're learning through the Old Testament, we're not just okay, oh, okay, just get through it. No, no, you better open up your eyes and you better see Jesus in it. You better learn from them and learn of God in the midst of it. He is setting aside a people for his purpose in their generation. The Messiah Jesus had to come. So he has set aside a people that he has called his own. He has walked with them. He has revealed himself to them. I mean, for God's sakes, they have seen him display his mighty power. And now he's setting them aside and they are to look different than the other nations. The way they live, the way they act, the way they worship, they're to honor God. And remember, these other nations, they weren't afraid of the Israelites. No, they were afraid of their God. And that's how it is. People shouldn't be afraid of us. Oh, but they better know the God that is with us. Let them say whatever they want about us. Because really who they're speaking against is our God. And that God 
will have his vengeance on them. But that shouldn't shake us to give up. No, we keep going forward. No matter if they drag us out and kill us, we don't fear man. No, our boldness empowers us to live for God. Because ultimately our fear should be in Him. The one who can destroy our bodies and send us to hell, Scripture says. No, 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 no. God is setting aside of people. He's showing them how to worship them, Him. Do you remember the Scripture from last week? Like the whole reason for all these sacrifices, for all the stuff that's going on, is so that there's no separation from Him and them. The priest had a, a nasty job to do. They were constantly sacrificing all of these animals so that the people could be, may, remain right with God. But as I think I was saying on Wednesday night when we were together, there's another spin to it that I was reading over these past couple of weeks. Not so much the priest and what they had to endure, but the people. That they had, it was a bloodbath, you all. There was so much killing going on. The stench of it. And then to drag these animals in and to stand there and remember as they're watching this animal being sacrificed, like that animal is taking upon their sins. That animal is being slaughtered for them. And imagine the depths of them coming and experiencing all of this. All to remain right with God. Now praise God, we're not dragging animals around to be slaughtered. Because Jesus has already taken that for us. And we're to look upon him. And we're to recognize the price that was paid. But we don't keep him on the cross. We don't keep him in the tomb. Because he's resurrected. He's resurrected. He's a conquering king. He's sitting on the throne, ruling and reigning. Soon to return. Again, not as a little baby. But as a conquering king. You all. Oh, what a glorious day. And so we pick up chapter 16, verse 29. We're going to read through chapter 18. Oh, pay attention, because it gets good. It's already been good. Oh, but it's getting better. Because every scripture is leading us to Jesus in the Old Testament. Verse 29. On the tenth day of the appointed month in early autumn, you must deny yourselves. Neither native-born Israelites nor foreigners living among you may do any kind of work. This is a permanent law for you. On that day, offerings of purification will be made for you. You will be purified in the Lord's presence from all your sins. 
It will be a Sabbath day of complete rest for you, and you must deny yourselves. This is a permanent law for you. In future generations, the purification ceremony will be performed by the priest who has been anointed and ordained to serve as a high priest in the place of his ancestor Aaron. He will put on the holy linen garments and purify the most holy place, the tabernacle, the altar, the priest, and the entire congregation. This is a permanent law for you to purify the people of Israel from their sins, making them right with the Lord once each year. Moses followed all these instructions exactly as the Lord had commanded him. The detail that the Lord has laid out for them. Remember last week's reading? Like these priests had to follow the exact mess up once and you're dead. But set that thing in the wrong, you're dead. The presence of God from here until now, until he comes, is not to be taken lightly. Not to be taken lightly. So ask yourself, your motives for being here today, being in his presence among the fellowship of believers, ask yourself what it's like each and every single day of your life that you are to abide in his presence. And is it just, are you just flippant about it? Turn him on and turn him off, turn him on and turn him off. So what if I go here? So what if I do this? So what if I act this way? Who cares? Oh, God cares. And you say, well, I'm not being punished right now. I'm not dropping dead. Oh, but you don't know when you're going to. You see, what are we learning as we're reading through the book of Leviticus? As God takes pleasure in being with us. His desire is that we will abide in him and remain with him. He doesn't take it flippantly. I'm here today, I'm gone tomorrow. No, he is with us. And as as, as in the new covenant believers, he is in us. Like he owns our body. We have given ourselves to him. Our hearts, our minds, our eyes, our hands, our feet. Everything, God, I'm yours. I have nailed the passions and the desires within me to your cross. I'm not moved by them any longer. And when they want to come up and start screaming within, I will remind them. You're a dead man. I dwell with my God. Are you talking this way? The whole purpose of all of this is that he would be with them and they will be with him. It's a beautiful picture, you all. You're mine. You're my beloved. I've got you. I've 
got you. Everything about you. I've got you. Oh, but this and that. No, no. I will silence your fears. I will, I will help you to be healed from the past. I will help you overcome. If you would just trust me. Are you trusting him, you all? Because you ought to be. And not just say it flippantly. Oh, I trust him now. <laughs> because life's hard. No, are you trusting him? Mountaintop, valley. Up and down, up and down. There's so many seasons to life. And then if you're really a discerning Christian and you see the times in which you're living, you go, oh, gracious. <laughs> you're on your way back. <laughs> Because it's getting crazier. The level of darkness is rising. There's a great falling away taking a place. The love of many is growing cold. Division is running amok. The occult is rising. Perversion is at its all-time high. And it just keeps getting worse. And we're being lulled asleep. Let us not forget the devotion I read to us a few weeks ago from the pastor's wife from the Middle East. When they moved to America, she was like, no, 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 we can't stay here. We need to go back. Live woman, you're safe here. What do you mean you want to go back? You're going to be killed. You can be raped. You can be butchered. Your children can be dragged out in front of you and beheaded. And she would rather risk that than risk falling away. She says, because there's a satanic lullaby being sung in the West. Go to sleep, go to sleep. Everything's okay. Yes, life is hard. It's hard for everyone. Go to sleep, go to sleep. It doesn't matter if you sin. It doesn't matter that you say you love Jesus because he loves you. He, he, he understands. Go to sleep, go to sleep. And we're just fading away. And yet, we say we're the people of God. And yet, we say we're the people of God. Oh, if you're flippant. If it's like, oh, whatever. Oh, okay, he's got a church. He's got a church. <laughs> Ooh, just remember, you're going to be in hell <laughs> for eternity with no hope of being restored to him. And yet you're going to be tormented with the knowledge of him. Because of your choosing. Choose this day whom you will serve. And make that declaration every day. This is not a one-shot little prayer. You're, you're, you're a Christian. Like he's some weird genie. No, he's a living God. That from the beginning, if you, if you can't see the importance, then God pray that your eyes would be open. I mean, the reality is you know your heart. You know where you're at. You know what you're doing. Ah, you know it. And if you don't, and you're hearing this, and you're not, you better be on your face. You better be fasting. You better be putting some spiritual disciplines because you ought to be like, oh, God, help me. This is how serious it is. 
Look around. We're living in a generation where we are seeing that three-year-olds can choose their sex. What kind of craziness are we doing? All of these different pronouns, all these different things. Pedophilia is right there. Like before you know it's going to be accepted. Go to sleep, go to sleep. Where's the church? I'll tell you where she's at. She's caving in. What's happening? And do you know who gets judged first? God's people. The Word of God says it's best that you would have never known than to know. Oh, you do not want to fall into the hands of a living God. Go to sleep. Go to sleep. He's, he's not a God of wrath. He, he's not a God of judgment. He's a God of love. He's going to embrace everyone. Everyone's going to heaven. Go to sleep. Go to sleep. And then what are you going to do when you're standing face to face with him? Oh, if not at that time you believe. Because <laughs> every knee is going to bow. And every tongue is going to confess that Jesus is King and He's Lord. And those who do not belong to Him after they bow and confess are turned over to what they wanted themselves. God, do not be those people who have their fist up and say, you're not God. I'm God. I'll do what I want. I'll live how I want. I'll do whatever. Don't be counted among those people. God is setting aside a people that he will call his own and that they will call him their God. And did you not just hear what was said? He desires to abide with them. He goes on here, chapter 17. Then the Lord said to Moses, Give the following instructions to Aaron and his sons and all the people of Israel. This is what the Lord has commanded. If any native Israelite sacrifices a bull or a lamb or a goat anywhere inside or outside the camp instead of bringing it to the entrance of the tabernacle to present it as an offering to the Lord, that person will be guilty as a murderer. Such a person has shed blood and will be cut off from the community. The purpose of this rule is to stop the Israelites from sacrificing animals in the open fields. It will ensure that they bring their sacrifices to the priests at the entrance of the tabernacle so he can present them to the Lord as peace offerings. Then the priest will be able to splatter the blood against the Lord's altar at the entrance of the tabernacle and he will burn the fat as a pleasing aroma to the Lord. The people must no longer be, look at this, unfaithful to the Lord by offering sacrifices to goat idols. 
This is a permanent law for them to be observed from generation to generation. Give them this command as well. If any native Israelite or foreigner living among you offers a burnt offering or a sacrifice but does not bring it to the entrance of the tabernacle to offer it to the Lord, that person will be cut off from the community. And if any native Israelite or foreigner living among you eats or drinks blood in any form, I will turn against that person and cut him off from the community of your people. For the life of the body is in, the, in its blood. I have given you the blood on the altar to purify you, making you right with the Lord. It is the blood given in exchange for a life that makes purification possible. That is why I have said to the people of Israel, You must never eat or drink blood, neither you nor the foreigners living among you. And if any native Israelite or foreigner living among you goes hunting and kills an animal or bird that has approved her eating, he must drain its blood and cover it with earth. The life of every creature is in its blood. That is why I have said to the people of Israel, you must never eat or drink blood for the life of any creature is in its blood. So whoever consumes blood will be cut off from the community. And if any native-born Israelites or foreigners eat the meat of an animal that died naturally or has torn or was torn up by wild animals, they must wash their clothes and bathe themselves in water. They will remain ceremonially unclean until evening, but then they will be clean. But if they do not wash their clothes and bathe themselves, they will be punished for their sin. Wow. You see... We can't go changing and adapting our times, our, our services to the way man wants to do it. The gospel is to be preached. The gospel is to be preached. It is not some self-help time. The gospel is what we need to hear over and over and over and over. And what we've done is we've created church to be self-help. Live your best life now. Get everything you can. Live for yourself. Make it what we want. Make it what we want. Tell me what I want to hear. You need to hear the gospel. The gospel being preached. That's what brings forth salvation. It's not time just to just to do and just to come. He was showing them, take our time serious together. Take our time serious. Do not take what I have put in place and then go do it however you want to do it. Don't get lazy. Oh, we don't need to go to the tabernacle today. We'll strip down the goat here and sacrifice. No! You obey. You obey. I can go out into the forest and worship God. What kind of lunatic ideal is that? Oh, you don't have to be a part of a church. You don't. You can just do whatever. 
do whatever. I need to find a church that fits me. And you make it about you. You make your sacrifice. You make your, your worship. You make it all about you. And not about God. And God is going from the beginning, even to today. Like, no, 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 no. This is what he has ordained, you all. He tells us in the New Testament, don't forsake meeting with each other. Like he's given us the church, the body of Christ. We're to abide in him, in his presence, together and individually. As we're going about our day. We are the church. If you're a Christian. And there's a way that it's to be done. Not because man says. No, because God says. So what can you take away of this? God has said, don't be flippant with what I have put in place. Like you should come hungry. You should come seeking. And it's just not on a Sunday or Wednesday or Friday night. No, it's just how you are every day in your life. Like, God, I just want to know you more. I remember if I said, let's put your week on this screen and let's, let's look at your life over this past week. Where's God? Are we going to see you seeking him? Because your attitude on Sunday reflects your attitude from the week. And if you're finding it hard to, to pay attention or either even to, to understand, that's been your week. This is a life that you're living. This is just who you are now. You're a whole new creation. The old has passed away. So don't take it flippant. God has established it. Remember, his purpose, you all, is to have a people that he will call his own, and in return, they will call him their God. We belong to you. Chapter 18, Then the Lord said to Moses, Give the following instructions to the people of Israel. Listen to this line. Oh, there's so many good lines you should be highlighting, circling, going back to. Listen to this one. He says, I am the Lord your God. So do not act like the people in Egypt where you used to live. Or live like, or, or like the people of Canaan where I'm taking you. You must not imitate their way of life. Don't live how you used to live and where you're going. Don't live like the rest of them. Do not imitate them. Do not pick up their practices. Don't go their way. Listen, their ways are going to happen. Remember, throughout every generation and the generations to come, there are going to be millions, if not billions of people who aren't followers of Christ. And they're going to be enslaved to all forms of, of stuff out there. But you are not to touch it. You are not to be a part of it. It shouldn't even have a little piece of you. He's telling them this. 
you must obey all my regulations and be careful to order my to to obey my decrees for I am the Lord your God if you obey my decrees and my regulations you look at this oh my goodness you will find life through them I am the Lord if you follow me you will live but if you turn and you go and you do what everyone else is doing you will die Remember what Jesus says. It's the thief that comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I've come to give you life. And that's why I always ask you all, why would you trade his love for his wrath? Why would you trade eternity with him for an eternity apart from him? It doesn't make sense. Especially when you've heard the good news. He is telling them, do not go your way. And you say, well, that's a mean God. He's trying to force us to do what he wants. No, that is a loving God. That says, listen, I know what's out there. I know what your desires could flare up to be. I know what's out there trying to intimidate you or lure you away. But trust me, their purpose is to kill you. But I am the Lord, and I've come to give you life. So remain with me. Don't act like the rest of them. You're not to look like the world. You're set apart for me. He goes on now. You must never have sexual relations with a close relative, for I am the Lord. Do not violate your father by having sexual relationships with your mother. She is your mother. You must not have sexual relations with her. Do not have sexual relations with any of your father's wives, for this would violate your father. Do not have sexual relations with your sister or half-sister, whether she is your father's daughter or your mother's daughter, whether she was born into your household or someone else's. Do not have sexual relationships with your granddaughter, whether she is your son's daughter or your daughter's daughter's, for this would violate yourself. Do not have sexual relations with your stepsister, the daughter of any of your father's wives, for she is your sister. Do not have sexual relationships with your father's sister, for she is your father's close relative. And do not have sexual relations with your mother's sister, for she is your mother's close relative. Do not violate your uncle your father's brother by having sexual relations with his wife, for she is your aunt. Do not have sexual relations with your daughter-in-law. She is your son's wife, so you must not have sexual relations with her. Do not have sexual relations with your brother's wife, for this would violate your brother. Do not have sexual relations with both a woman and her daughter, and do not take her granddaughter, whether her son's daughter or her daughter's daughter, and have sexual relations with her. They are close relatives, and this would be a wicked act. While your wife is living, do not marry her sister and have sexual relations with her, for they would be rivals. Do not have sexual relations with a woman during her period of menstrual impurity. Do not defile yourself by having sexual intercourse with your neighbor's wife. Do not permit any of your children to be offered as a sacrifice to Molech, for you must, bring, you must not bring shame on the name of your God, I am the Lord. 
Do not practice homosexuality, having sex with another man as with a woman. It is a detestable sin. A man must not defile himself by having sex with an animal. And a woman must not offer herself to a male animal to have intercourse with it. This is a perverse act. Do not defile yourself in any of these ways, for the people I am driving out before you have defiled themselves in all of these ways. Because the entire land has become defiled, I am punishing the people who live there. I will curse the land to vomit them out. You must obey all my decrees and regulations. You must not commit any of these detestable sins. This applies both to native-born Israelites and to the foreigners living among you. All these detestable activities are practiced by the people of the land where I am taking you, and this is how the land has become defiled. So do not defile the land and give it a reason to vomit you out, as it will vomit out the people who live there now. Whoever commits any of these detestable sins will be cut off from the community of Israel. So obey my instructions and do not defile yourselves by committing any of these detestable practices that are committed by the people who live in the land before you, I am the Lord your God. Wow. He knows what's happening in our generation. He knows what is to come. He knows how wicked and perverse Sexual sin is. And in a day and age where sexual sin is rising, when pornography is at its all-time highest, where homosexuality, where bestiality, having sex with animals, where pedophilia, people having sex with children, when it's all rising up to say, oh, it's okay to do, God hasn't changed his mind. God hasn't changed his mind. He knows it defiles. He knows the land is defiled by it. And you don't think the land is going to vomit the people out? And you say, but what do we do with people who live this way? Oh, you don't hate them. You don't, you don't look down on them and like you're, you're, you're better than them. No, because if it wasn't for God, you would be just like them. Having sex with anything and everything just to feel the emptiness within you. Sex is designed by God for marriage. And sex is good. And it ought to be honored. And the kids and the youth should learn about sex so that they're not taught the ways of the world. Just give yourself, just give yourself, just give yourself. Because that's what's going to make you feel good. Everything. For God's sake, you can't even watch a commercial selling a cheeseburger without some woman having an orgasm or being sexual with it. What kind of craziness are we living? You can't even watch a car commercial. Sex, sex, sex. Oh, remember what I said earlier? The enemy, he comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. He is out to destroy you. Do you know how many men and women are enslaved to pornography? 
Remember what I told you before. The hotel industry. Do you know when their pornography income increases? It's when churches come to town. What kind of craziness is that? Oh, remember what I told you. They may call themselves the church. But those aren't Christians. And you say, but I have a problem with pornography. Then repent. Turn from it. Don't beat yourself down. Just recognize it. Just like with every other sin. I have a problem having thoughts of having sex with the same gender as I am. I'm having problems as this, as that, as this, as that. I'm lusting after this. I'm lusting after that. Then talk to someone. Don't hide. No one's going to beat you down. But if you're calling yourself a Christian, then you need to repent. You need to turn from it. You need to be set free. Now, if you're not a Christian then have at it. Have sex with anything and everything out there. Go for it. Have your fill and your share of it. Experience the fullness of it all. Because in the end, that's all you got. You're chasing after the created. And you're hoping that the created will satisfy a desire within you. It'll always leave you empty. Always leave you empty. Always leave you empty. It comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But if you remain pure, if you just don't give yourself to anyone and everything, if you remain pure, and you teach your kids to remain pure, to know what sexual relations are that honor God. Like, hey kids, in this world, this is what sex looks like. Have sex with your cow, have sex with your... Your, your daughter, have sex with this person over here, have sex with this, just have it. And that's how you're going to choose to live. That's what the world does. This is what you're going to find out there. But as your parent, I'm raising you up to understand the love of God. And God created sex, and sex isn't bad, and you are going to have desires. But let's talk them through. Let's have an open dialogue and conversation. I'm not going to reject you, but I'm not going to tell you it's okay. If you're desiring a way that's not pleasing to God, save yourself so that when you find your husband or you find your wife, that you're going to experience the beauty of what sex is and what it was created for. Like sex isn't bad. But when you give it to the enemy... Oh, he makes it bad. And yet he makes it feel so good. Because if it didn't feel good, we wouldn't keep going back to it. But God has established here. Listen, I'm telling you ahead of time, this is what these people are doing. And I'm marching you right towards them. I'm taking you right towards it. Don't do it. I'm raising you up in this generation to be godly, to be holy, to be my people. This is what's going on in the, in the nations around you. This is what's happening in the lives and the homes around you. Do not look like them. Don't give yourself to them. Because then you'll be cut off. Then you'll be separated. And you can twist it and you can turn it however you want. 
to make it easy for them. But how sad. Oh, parents and grandparents, you better wake up. You better wake up. You know how many people I counsel? The calls. The other night, a couple weeks ago, talking to this one family. And the crazy thing is, is that now the church is telling people, it's okay. Live however you want. God, God loves you. The church, the people who are supposed to be upholding truth is saying, mm, mm, we really don't know what God is saying about this. No, we don't know. Label yourself however you want. You're a man today. You're a dog tomorrow. Oh, what do you feel today? Then be that. And the church is agreeing with it. What kind of craziness is this? You don't hate them. I mean, for goodness sakes, 28 years of my life, I lived as a gay man. I hated God. I loved having sex with men. It was who I was. It's what I did. I tried to fit in to be the straight boy. But I didn't want to be the straight boy. I didn't want to live for God. I didn't want to be straight. I wanted to be me. And boy, when I kicked down that door at the gay bar and I walked in, I was like, Woo! I'm with my family. People like me. And it sucked me in. And I didn't care what you thought. I didn't care what you think. I didn't have a problem being gay. I was fine with it. And that was during a time where you, oh, you weren't gay because you got beat up for being gay. Oh, that was a time where, oh no, you didn't celebrate it. God help us. I didn't want to turn from who I was. I wasn't looking for Jesus. But Jesus stepped in. In the moment that I was going to kill myself, and said, today you'll live. I am the Lord. I am the Lord. Oh, God. What have I been doing? Jesus, you're real. I told you that was the first words out of my mouth. The pills hit the floor. My hands were over my head. Oh, Jesus, you're real. This isn't a joke. That's what I said earlier. Your confession and your belief, if you're saying that he's the son of God and that he rose from the dead, stop being a slave to sin. Stop living like he's still in the tomb. If I was living like he was still in the tomb, we wouldn't be here this morning. I would still be hung over from the night before. Waking up with God knows who I would be with. Because I was spreading myself out there anyway and every way. crawling through the darkest of, 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 of tunnels and, and dark places where there's just hundreds and hundreds of bodies of men just going at it. That's how you should spend my nights. In dark rooms. But you couldn't tell me any different. Because that's just who I was. And I didn't care about your God. Because he wasn't my God. You see, these people are lost. As I was lost. 
as you were lost. We're all born into sin. Apart from God, we're sinners. Apart from God, we go our way. We do what we want. We, we adapt to the culture that is around us. But when you are in Christ, you don't adapt with it any longer. You go, oh, God, no, no, no. God, keep me. And remember what I said, how does he transform you? How does he, how does he take a man who was used to that way of living and make him the man that you see today by changing the way I think? By me being real with God. God, these are my feelings. These are my desires. Like, you go back and you read my old journals, you'll be like, this guy's crazy. Like, I would have these conversations like, oh, God, I just want to be pure. God, I just want to be holy. Oh, God, I'm being drawn. I'm being lured. I want to go so bad. But, God, that same pull and same desire that I have for that, God, I want it for you. Give it to me, God. I just want you. I want your presence. I want you. Are you praying that way? We're up against war, you all. People are dying and going into an eternal hell, and we're all waving flags. Again, you don't hate them. You don't berate them. But by God, you better be sharing the good news with them when you have the opportunity. Just as well slapping people when they don't want to hear it. Leave them alone. They can live however they want. But when the door opens, when they see that there's something different, or they even dare ask you, is this okay? Oh, by God, you better not shut up and go, uh-huh. No, you better look at them with a sincere compassion. If you want to live a life apart from God, then it's okay. But if you want a life with the living God, He knows you. He knows right where you're at, but he longs to make you right with himself. He's not expecting you to make yourself right. He's just expecting you to come and to acknowledge him. And he will make you right. He will transform the way you are thinking. And this goes for any sin, you all. That is not play games. Like I said earlier, it's an eternal hell. That awaits for all who aren't in Christ. They will go for eternity apart from God with the knowledge of Him. And there's no way out. And it's not because, ooh, He's a bad God. And, ooh, don't talk about hell because it scares people. Oh, no, 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 no. Talk about hell because Jesus did. <laughs> but actually, you just don't preach about hell and give them no hope. Remember, whenever hell or wrath, God's wrath was being warned. Remember, you'll always will find, but if you turn to Him. Go to Romans. Actually, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1 through 20. Then we're going to pick up in Mark. It's a little bit more. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Verse 1 through 20.
Actually, it's going to be verse 9 through 20. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols or commit adultery or male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or thieves or greedy people or drunkards or abusive or cheat people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Some of you were once like that, but you were cleansed, you were made holy, you were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Don't be fooled when you're living in a generation where it's everyone is telling you, and even you're hearing in churches, it's okay, be who you are and be proud of it. Oh, don't be fooled. And notice, he just didn't stick with sexual perversion. He listed it all out. See, the same gospel that you preach to those who are bound by sexual perversion is the same gospel you preach to a person who has a problem with their mouth. Turn from your wickedness. Turn from sin and turn to God. You are not going to inherit the kingdom of God if this is the way your life is marked. A Christian life is not marked by sin. You say, but I just sinned this week. Well, hopefully you repented. I didn't say the Christian, mar- the Christian life is without sin. I said it's not marked by sin. You can't call yourself a Christian and then live like the world. You will sin, but when you sin, you will feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And you go, oh God, I'm so sorry. And you get up and you keep maturing. You keep growing. But you don't play the weird, oh, I'm sorry game. Like true repentance, a godly sorrow is a turning away from. It's not always keep going back. Oops, sorry, oops, sorry, oops, sorry, oops, sorry. Because your heart's not right. And so don't fool yourself. (laughs) Because this is the way you're living. You're not inheriting the kingdom of God. He goes on. You say I'm allowed to do anything. But not everything is good for you. And even though I am allowed to do anything, I must not become a slave to anything. You say, food was made for the stomach and the stomach for food. This is true, though someday God will do away with both of them. But you can't say that our bodies were made for sexual immorality. They were made for the Lord, and the Lord cares about our bodies. And God will raise us from the dead by the power just as he raised our Lord from the dead. Don't you realize that your bodies are actually parts of Christ? Should a man take his body, which is part of Christ, and join it with a prostitute? Never! And don't you realize that if a man joins himself to a prostitute, he becomes one body with her? For the scriptures say the two are united into one, but the person who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. So run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual morality is a sin against your own body. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself, 
For God bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. And boy, the church should say, Amen. Yes, Lord, we're in agreement. I'm afraid she's not. Oh, God, help us, you all. Not to be enslaved to sexual sin. Go to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, verse 18. Then I'm going to read through chapter 2, verse 16. Hope you're there. Romans chapter 1, verse 18. But God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful and wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Look at this. God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress truth by their wickedness. By people who say, oh, I'm a Christian, but they're the opposite of what a Christian should look like. They're suppressing truth because they give in to wickedness. They know the truth about God because God has made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky through everything God made. They can clearly see his invisible qualities, his internal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Yes, they know God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks and they began to think up foolish ideals of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. You see, Mankind knows that there is a God, but instead of turning to the living God, instead of accepting Jesus, instead of living for Christ and living right in their generation, they turn from what they know to be true and they go their own way. I can live however I want. I can do whatever I want. Oh, I'll worship God, but I want him to be this way. And it's okay for me. Yes, it is. But understand, you have turned from God. And not only that, oh, if you want to highlight another verse, highlight this one. So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. Remember what we're learning? All God desires is for us to be in his presence. For us to receive his love and to love him back. That's his desire, you all. But he loves you enough to say, you don't want me? You don't want to receive life? The life I have to give? Go. He abandons them. And look at what happens when God abandons you. As a result, they did vile things, degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie. 
So they worshipped and served things God created instead of the Creator Himself, who is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. That is why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. Even the women turned against the natural way to have sex and instead indulge and have sex with each other. And the men, instead of having natural, normal sexual relations with women, burned with lust for, each other, for other men. They did shameful things with other men. And as a result of this sin, they suffered within themselves the penalty they deserved. Since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, he, uh, I'm sorry, since they thought it foolish to acknowledge, acknowledge God, he abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do things that should never be done. Their lives became full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. They are backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, and boastful. They invent new ways of sinning, and they disobey their parents. They refuse to understand, break their promises, are heartless, and have no mercy. They know God's justice requires that those who do these things deserve to die, yet they do them anyway. Worse yet, they encourage others to do them too. This is the world we're living in. From generations to generation to generation until his return, this is what's coming against you every single day. This is what's coming against your family every single day. And how are you standing in Christ warring against this? Oh, you better, because if not, you're going to be taken out. This is serious. Listen. He turns them over. He abandons them. And we're sitting idly by saying nothing. Watching our children and grandchildren just being turned over. Watching our loved ones just being turned over, no matter what their ages are. And we say nothing. Oh, because we don't want to offend. We don't want them to feel bad. Well, you're not telling, you're not sharing the truth with them to make them feel bad. Oh, it may offend them. But you're sharing the truth in love. But let me say this to you, like I've said many times before. The reason why the majority of us are not sharing truth with people is because we're not living it. And let me tell you, you try to share with someone, oh, I think you should da 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 or, you know, by, by serving God, you know, this and that. They're going to look at you and be like, and, and who are you? Because <laughs> you're no different than me. I haven't seen any transformation in your life. And so because we don't see any transformation on us, we're not taking the gospel serious. We don't share it. Remember what I said earlier? Who are you discipling? Not only that, who, who's discipled you? And if you're not being discipled, you're not discipling. The God in which you think you believe is still in the tomb. He's not the risen God. Because when you grasp the fact that Jesus is alive, you live differently. And you want others to know. And you're passionate about it. You're not rude about it, but you're passionate. You're praying with a sincere prayer. God, lead me to those today that are ready to receive. God, connect me with the right people. But if my life was not reflecting Christ, how am I going to go talk to people? How am I going to go tell people? 
this? How am I going to open up this and share this with them? And they're going to be like, oh, well, you're no different than me. Listen, we got to wake up. We got to wake up. We are not searching for the created things to make us whole. Only God can do that, you all. So you must turn to God. And so this part of Scripture lays it out. But, oh, let's not forget this next part. Oh, please pay attention. Chapter 2. You must think you can't condemn. You may think you can condemn such people. Now he's turning to the church. Oh, so now you think you have the right to condemn people. But you are just as bad. And you have no excuse. When you say they are wicked and should be punished, you are condemning yourself. For, for you who judge others do the very same things. Oh, we better wake up. Oh, no, we should be judging. And the church. We don't judge the world. The world already stands condemned. And that's why sin is not to run rapid in the church. Gossiping, backbiting, negativity, constantly putting down, perversion, adultery, you name it. Running amok. It's just normal among us. Then who gives us the right to look at the world and tell them to come to Jesus? When Jesus isn't even among us. He says this. He's writing to the church. Oh, you think you can condemn such people? Uh, You're doing it yourself. And we know that God in his justice will punish anyone who does such things. Oh, let's not forget back in the Old Testament. The people thought because they were near the temple that they were safe. But God sent the prophet to tell them, oh, you're not safe. God's coming for you. Oh, but we're in the temple. We're in church. We must be safe. Oh, no, 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 no. You're no different than what's out there. So he's coming for you. Oh, remember the psalm I keep referring to? When the psalmist writes, God's saying this. Oh, you kept basically going your way, doing you. And because I didn't punish you or you didn't hear from me, you thought I didn't care. Oh, no, no, no. I care. I'm coming. And I'm coming, and I'm going to tear you apart. Oh, we don't want to know God that way. Stop preaching that way. We don't want to know God that way. Oh, you better know that he's a God of wrath. The problem is, if you're still enslaved to sin, if you're you're not maturing and growing as a Christian, the problem is you don't know God. Or the God you think you know is still in a tomb (laughs) and he's of no use for you. Because he's coming. And we know that God in his justice will punish anyone who does such things. Since you judge others for doing these things, why do you think you can avoid God's judgment when you do the same things? Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended, look at this, to turn you from your sin? Like you're sitting in church. You say you know God, but yet you're still living like them who are outside of Christ. 
Don't you see how patient, wonderfully kind, and tolerant God is? Does this mean nothing to you? Write that on your, on your mirror this week. Ask yourself, when you get up from this place today, or even while you're sitting here, because the devil works while you're still sitting in church trying to lure you and draw you out. One way or another, you're going to be faced with choices and decisions. And how is your life reflecting Christ? You are his image bearer. And if you're not, don't fool yourselves because you showed up for church. Does this not mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? But because you are stubborn and refuse to turn from your sin, you are storing up terrible punishment for yourself. For a day of anger is coming when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will judge everyone according to what they have done. He will give and he, oh my goodness, he will give eternal life to those who keep on doing good, seeking after the glory and honor and immortality that God offers. But he will pour out his anger and wrath on those who live for themselves, who refuse to obey the truth and instead live lives of wickedness. There will be trouble and calamity for everyone who keeps on doing what is evil. For the Jew first, and also for the Gentile. But, and there it is, there will be glory and honor and peace from God for all who do good. For the Jew first, and also the Gentile. For God does not show favoritism. When the Gentiles sin, they will be destroyed, even though they never heard or had God's written law. And the Jews who do have God's law will be judged by that law when they fail to obey it. For merely listening to the law doesn't make us right with God. It is obeying the law that makes us right in his sight. Even Gentiles who do not have God's written law show that they know his law when they instinctively obey it, even without having heard it. They demonstrate that God's law is written in their hearts, for their own conscience and thoughts either accuse them or tell them they are doing right. And this is the message I proclaim, that the day is coming when God, through Christ Jesus, will judge everyone's secret life. You say, why did we go to these scriptures after Leviticus? Because I want you to see. Leviticus, he was talking to the people of Israel. The New Testament, he's talking to the church. Listen, I can get up here and, you know, do a show for you and, and dance and carry on. <laughs> but I told you all, I genuinely care about your eternal souls. Like, it's not, it's not fun and games, you all. Like, I don't know how much time we have together. You could drop dead now. Those people went to Walmart school shopping yesterday. When I think of what those poor kids had to endure, being separated by their parents, they were, de they were describing how people were running back to the back of the stores and kids got separated from their parents and other strangers were picking up these kids, running them out. 
They didn't know some crazed man was going to come in there and start shooting people dead. You don't know what tomorrow holds. You don't know what the next second holds. What is your life marked by? You know. And if it's not Christ, then I'm not quite sure what you're doing. I'm not quite sure what we're doing. You've got to stop making excuses for the sin that's so easily... Well, I don't know if I make this... this. Listen, I get it. I had to make a really hard decision when I came to Christ. As you do. And it's a decision you have to make every single day. It's just not a one-shot time prayer. The same decision I made in that condo when I got up off my knees is the same decision I make every day throughout my day. God, I'm yours. God, forgive me. God, I see what I just did. God, I'm sorry. Like you just don't make excuses. Well, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know this. I don't know that. I didn't know where I was going to go. I didn't know what my life was going to become. But I did know God loved me. God was pleased to reveal himself to me through his son Jesus. And I haven't lived a perfect life. And I'm not going to live a perfect life. But I know the life that I'm living, it's a life that just sincerely desires to please Jesus. Like, God, I just love you. No other love is going to love you this way, you all. There's no one else. Nothing and no one can compare to the love of Jesus. And if you're not experiencing it today, then something is seriously wrong. Because each of you has sat in church long enough. Why is sin dominating your life? It shouldn't. You say, but I'm not going to be perfect. No one is saying you're going to be perfect. That's the lie from the enemy. Lull to sleep, go to sleep. No one is saying, oh, live a perfect life. No, we're telling you what the Bible says. Live a transparent life. Live a life that is open, first before God and then before others. There's nothing you should hide. If you're having feelings of this or that, or if this is a stronghold or or a um, a hidden sin in your life, no, you're just supposed to expose it. If you have something in your life that you know God that says, you better get away from it, you better line it up with my word, and you keep refusing, you better get with someone and say, how, how am I to make this decision? Help me, Lord. Some of us are still clinging to old things that are dragging us to hell. And for what? Because you feel secure in the moment? Woo-hoo. Your security in this moment is no security at all. The only place that you are secure is in Christ. Go to Mark chapter 7. Hope you came hungry because I'm feeding y'all. Mark chapter 7, verse 24. And then we're going through Mark chapter 8, verse 10. We're almost done. Pay attention. Here we go. Mark chapter 7, verse 24. Then Jesus left Galilee and went north to the region of Tyre. He didn't want anyone to know which house he was staying in, but he couldn't keep it a secret. 
Right away, a woman who had heard about him came and fell at his feet. Her little girl was possessed by an evil spirit, and she begged him to cast out the demon from her daughter. Since she was a Gentile born in a Syrian province, Jesus told her, First, I should feed the children, my own family, the Jews. It isn't right to take food from the children and throw it to the dogs. She replied, That's true, Lord. But even the dogs under the table are allowed to eat the scraps from the children's plates. Good answer, he said. Now go home, for the demon has left your daughter. And when she arrived home, she found her little girl lying quietly in bed, and the demon was gone. And you say, well, what's that that to do for me? Oh, it has a lot to do for you. This woman was a Gentile. She wasn't part of the, the Israelites. The Jews. She actually shouldn't have been there. But she came. She believed. And she was insulted by Jesus. Why should I give the food that is prepared for my children? To a dog. And I know commentaries have tried to soften it. Well, he didn't really mean. No, he meant. And there's a reason. He wasn't being rude. He was establishing something. The reality is, back in those days, and probably even today, if you're a Jew... You look down on the Gentiles. You're better than them. Very prejudiced. They're dogs. We are dogs to Jews. They look down. And especially if you were a woman in that time. But you're a Gentile. You're a dog. You're treated less than. And Scripture, all through Scripture... We know that he first came for the Jews. But we also know that his purpose was not for the Jews. It was ultimately for all. It's important to know that. And do you see how she responded? She didn't get offended. She agreed. Oh, you're right. The children get the plates. They're fed first. Dogs get the scraps. Oh, I don't know about you all. Y'all should get excited about that. Jesus did. Jesus did. Good answer. Now go home, for the demon has left your daughter. That woman could have walked away and not responded to Jesus. She knew Jesus. She, she must have known God came for the Jews, but he's not leaving us out. She came with a boldness and with confidence, not within herself, but within her knowledge and understanding of this man that she came to, ultimately God. God's purpose and plan to include everyone. I may not get the plate 
but give me the scraps and I'll be satisfied. Listen, we just don't get the scraps, y'all. He bids us all now to come to the table. Take your place. You're in Christ. This woman showed such faith, such boldness, such confidence, not within herself. She wasn't arrogant when she was responding to him. She just stated fact. She stated truth. Good answer. Go. How is your relationship with Christ, you all? How are you talking? Your confidence isn't in yourself, but it's in Christ. God, this is what your word says. These are your promises. God, I'm holding up your promises. I'm believing. I don't want to be swayed by them. Hold on, Rob, because you're going through it. You know how many doctor's offices I've sat in over the past years? Wondering, God, what on earth is going to be the next thing? What's next? This is what your word says. As soon as that attitude would come up, I would have to push it back down and say, no, no, no. God, forgive me for even questioning. God, this is what your word says. This is what I know to be true. What do you know to be true? And why aren't you speaking it over your situations, over your families, over your life? You say, well, I have. Nothing's gotten better. Oh, (laughs) that's because you're looking at your circumstances and not your God. Wonder if things never get better. Does that make him out to be a liar? No. It doesn't. His word is still true. Jesus left and went up to Simon before going back to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the ten towns. A deaf man with a speech impediment was brought to him and the people begged Jesus to lay his hands on the man to heal him. Jesus led him away from the crowd so they could be alone. He put his fingers into the man's ears, then spitting on his own fingers, he touched the man's tongue. <laughs> Looking up to heaven, he sighed and said that word, which means be open. Instantly, the man could hear perfectly and his tongue was free so he could speak plainly. Jesus told the crowd not to tell anyone, but the more he told them not to, the more they spread the news. They were completely amazed and said again and again, everything he does is wonderful. He even makes the deaf to hear and gives speech to those who cannot speak. I can't explain why Jesus did this. He did it. He stuck his fingers in the man's ears. He spit on his fingers and put them on his tongue. (laughs) And the man was healed. What we take away from this is the response of these people. He keeps doing wonderful things. Oh, are you saying that about Jesus? He just keeps doing wonderful things. We're going through verse 10 on chapter 8. About this time, another large crowd had gathered and the people ran out of food again. Jesus called his disciples and told them, I feel sorry 
for these people. They have been here with me for three days, and they have nothing left to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will faint along the way, for some of them have come a long distance. His disciples replied, how are, we, how are we supposed to find food to feed them out here in the wilderness? And Jesus asked, how much bread do you have? Seven loaves, they replied. So Jesus told all the people to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves, thanked God for them, and broke them into pieces. He gave them to his disciples who distributed the bread to the crowd. A few small fish were found. Two, so Jesus also blessed these and told the disciples to distribute them. They ate as much as they wanted. Afterward, the disciples picked up seven large baskets of leftover food. There were about 4,000 men in the crowd that day, and Jesus sent them home after they had eaten. Immediately after this, he got into a boat with his disciples and crossed over to the region of Damascus. Jesus, you all. Here we are again. He's having compassion on this large crowd of people. He knows their physical needs. And yet again, the disciples did say, how are we going to do this? Didn't they remember how he did it last time? Oh, that we would know our God, you all. And the wonderful things that he does. He is for us, you all. He's not against us. He is a loving God. He is a God that desires you to walk with him, to abide in him, to trust in him to acknowledge him, to live for him. Go to Psalm chapter 41. Psalm 41, verse 1 through 13. Oh, the joys of those who are kind to the poor. The Lord rescues them when they are in trouble. The Lord protects them and keeps them alive. He gives them prosperity in the land and rescues them from their enemies. The Lord nurses them when they are sick and restores them to health. O Lord, I prayed, have mercy on me. Heal me, for I have sinned against you. But my enemies say nothing about evil, but, I'm sorry, but my enemies say nothing but evil about me. How soon will he die and be forgotten, they ask. They visit me as if they were my friends, but all the while they gather gossip. And when they leave, they spread it everywhere. All who hate me whisper about me, imagining the worst. He has some fatal disease, they say. He will never get out of the bed, that bed. Even my best friend, the one I trusted completely, the one who shared my food has turned against me. Lord, have mercy on me. Make me well again so I can pay them back. I know you are pleased with me, for you have not let my enemies triumph over me. You have preserved my life because I am innocent. You have brought me into your presence forever. Praise the Lord for the God of Israel who lives from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. King David wrote this. The Bible describes him as a man after God's own heart. Yet again, we find him in another point, in a place of, of discouragement, of a crisis. Even his best friend turned against him. His body is, is overwhelmed with sickness and disease. And yet, he's calling upon the God of his salvation. 
trusting in Him. That's why I encourage you as you read through the book of Psalms, you're going to go through things in life. Even as a Christian, life is going to be hard. But look up. Look up and confess that which you know to be true. God, you are good. And your love endures forever. I will not let this move me. For I am rooted in you. Oh, you got to speak like you know what is true. How does he transform you? If you're not experiencing the transforming power of Christ, of the resurrected power of Christ in your life, it's not God's fault. It's yours. You're not yielding to Him. Remember the Bible says, take every thought captive and bring it to the obedience of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. That's every thought. That's just not some thoughts. When you think something, something comes in, you better gauge it and you better line it up with what you know to be true. And if you do not know truth, then you better get hungry for truth. I need to be discipled. I need to sit down. I got to know. I got to know how to apply this. And not just do it because, ooh, I'm in a season of torment. No, like you just do it because it's in season and out of season. I'm hungry. I want to get rooted. I want to get grounded. I want to be able to stand up. I want to be able to, 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 to push back and say, not on my watch. Not on my watch. Not over my family. Not over my health. Not over my finances. Not over my church. Not, none of this is taken. None of this. Because God, you are for us, you're not against us. You just begin boldly declare truth. And remember, it's just not a lot of talk. Because you're not living like the witches who just cite whatever rituals. No, this is just who you are. I'm just not saying a prayer ten times over and over and over and over and poof, everything has worked. I'm just living it. It's a living word in me. It's a living word in you. Because Christ is in you if you're a Christian. Go to Proverbs. We're ending. Proverbs chapter 2. Two nuggets of wisdom for you to walk away with. Proverbs 10, verse 15 and 16. The wealth of the rich is their fortress. The poverty of the poor is their destruction. The earnings of the godly enhance their lives. But evil people squander their money on sin. Oh, we better be good stewards of what God's entrusting us with, you all. We want to be godly people. And that our earnings... Enhance our lives. We don't want to be people who just squander and just spin and spin and spin and spin and spin till we have no more. And we spent it on what? Like, listen, that's why we, I don't have to stand up here. I shouldn't have to stand up here and plead that y'all give to the causes and the needs that we're, we're giving to. You all should freely be giving. 
You should, as Christians, you should understand the biblical understanding of finances and how to structure a budget and how to spend and how to save. And listen, we all come from brokenness. We've all done crazy stuff with finances. None of us are perfect in it, but we want to strive to live an honorable life that our earnings, look at that, enhance our lives. They don't destroy us. And that goes for all that we've heard today. Either we're taking the knowledge of God and we're applying it to our lives as faithful Christians and we're gaining life. Or we're just sowing to the flesh. And the flesh only knows how to do one thing. And that's to die. It's your choice. You have to choose each and every single day throughout the day. Whom are you serving? God or self? And oh, how I pray y'all are choosing to serve God. I'm going to close this with this song, and then I'll close this in prayer.